Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue-collar middle class. I'm open to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. All right, everybody, welcome back for another week. This week I've got for the third time Carla Treadway, uh, and she's actually got her own podcast that if you haven't listened to yet, you should. I have a feeling that you probably have if you listen to this one, but it's Sense Making with Carla Joy Treadway, and you should uh, definitely give it a listen, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Carla, and you can kind of reintroduce yourself again, and uh, yeah, we'll get this thing rolling. Yeah. Hi. Wow. Three times. I totally forgot that this is number three. Yeah. We just make good podcasts, I guess. I guess so. I really enjoy <laughs> them. So, and that's the whole point of it. So, well, thank you for having me on again. I mean, this is just like a safe space for two Canadians just to have an honest conversation about stuff without getting canceled. It's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons why I really like talking to you is because you're kind of on that same wavelength of me where like you're, you're probably more tied in than I am, but you aren't full blown overboard. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, cause there are a lot of crazies on both sides of this thing. And I like, uh, I really like bouncing ideas. Like the, the topics you're going to talk about today off of you. Yeah, no, same. I mean, I, I like to think of myself as someone in the middle. It's hard not to feel crazy in all of this. I think what I do have going for me is that I'm not tanked, depressed, anxious, or scared. I'm just like in the know watching it all and taking action. So there's not a lot of people that are doing things. There's a lot of people looking at information. There's not a lot of people that are doing something about it. And it's it's literally the reason why I'm not a crazy person, why I'm not scared. Um, it, it's all about the doing. Oh, I, I couldn't echo that loud enough. And I mean, uh, we were really like digging into doing, you know, like letter campaigns. I, I, I don't know how many emails I'd sent out to MPs, not just like my local MP, but MPs across Canada as well, um, kind of before the move. And it just felt great. It felt great to actually be doing something and taking a little bit of control back when you felt like everything was kind of up in the air and, and crazy. You could actually turn it into an actionable, an actionable thing that you were doing. And I, I can totally relate with that. Yeah. I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff at home um, as well, but even today I sent this ad to my friends um, from our own local municipality saying that there were local elections and they were looking for school board members. I do not want that job. I don't want to sit on that board. I want nothing to do with it, but I sent it to friends and I was like, we should apply. Mm -hmm. And they probably won't even take me because of my opinions, but like, I can't be here and complain uh, I can't be in complaint uh, and be upset about what they're teaching to our kids and then not be involved. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those are like, we need people to do more of those things. Just understand that no one will do this for you, yeah. whether it's yeah. like feed your family or uh, change politics. Like, no, you have to get involved in politics or the schooling system or whatever it is, or nothing's going to change. I totally agree. Do you find that that's been one of the the kind of positives out of this last two years? Because to me, that's like where I draw most optimism from is I know that it it engaged myself for sure. Like I never paid attention to politics before. Like I 
did not no. care. I didn't think they affected me. I said, whatever, like that's just stuff that's way over my head anyway. And I think that, you know, you and I are not alone in, in that idea and, and kind of now engaging yourself in society and in civil discourse. Like that's not something that I ever had, had any, uh, I don't know. I never had any desire to do before. I knew nothing about politics. I would vote liberal usually because that's what good people do. You vote liberal and that's what all your friends do. Maybe you vote NDP because Jagmeet makes some pretty cool reels. Um, but <laughs> what I used to do in the past is on election day, I would panic, feel that sense of shame that I didn't know anything. And I'd go online look at the comparison columns, pretend like I was really doing my due diligence. And then I, I did vote. And I thought anyone on the right was a like Trump supporter, like how dare those conservatives. So I get it. I get it. Cause you know what, who in their right mind wants to use their spare time to really thoroughly investigate politics. And I didn't know back then that our media was controlled in, in such a way. I certainly didn't understand policy. And unfortunately, people vote for very shallow things. Justin Trudeau, for example, got in because of the way that he looked. He was charming. I hate to say that now, but like he like <laughs> he fooled us. He fooled us and and people are shallow. So you know, the things that I've learned about politics over the last two years have like they've rocked my mind and I I am voting conservative now. And it's funny because then people will attack you and oh, it means that you hate poor people. It means that this about you. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, you couldn't even name you couldn't even tell me about any conservative policies in depth. You You couldn't even. Second of all, I don't identify as a conservative, I agree with some policies on the left and I agree with some policies on the right and I'm very strategic in my voting right now and that might change there's way too many people that are stuck in this tribalism. They're just voting the way they always did or they're just always voting for their team, but actually have no idea what or who they're voting for and I get it no shame on anyone because that was me absolutely that was me. Yeah, I, I share Yeah, I, I had the exact same experience, you know, when I was younger and voting and um, I mean, I voted for Trudeau in 2015. It was actually, it was funny. That was actually the first year that I did start to kind of research things. And it was based on an obscure bill, Bill C-51, that would have given CSIS a lot more power to collect metadata on Canadians. And I remember that Harper was pushing that one through. Uh, I can't remember the leader of the NDP at that time. I think it might've been Brian Mulclair, but anyway, um, the NDP was firmly against it, which I liked, but I hated all the NDP um, economic policies. So I couldn't bring myself to do that. And then Trudeau, you know, in Trudeau fashion, now hindsight's 2020 was very wishy-washy on it and then passed it through anyway. So <laughs> that, was, that was my first foray into actually uh, looking up specific bills and voting strategically based on what I considered important. But now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, what did I do? But, you know, whatever. You, you live and you learn. I mean, and this is why cancel culture exists. The amount of young people, college age people that are touting and praising socialism right now, like the reason the NDP is is really catching speed, the reason that nobody seems to mind that the liberals are no longer classic liberalism, but they are leftism, which is something completely different. Yeah, and no one yeah. is even batting an eye. It's because all the young people have been told that this is actually this, it's going to be this beautiful utopia. 
And I shared a long string of thread uh, from Sarah Swain that just discussed socialism so brilliantly. But so cancel culture exists because when you actually corner people with common sense questions, they get furious because they actually don't have a good answer because they don't really know what socialism is. So the first thing that you hear, for example, is, well, I guess you hate Canadian healthcare. And I'm like, you can have elements of of socialism, you know, our police sector is as well. But being a fully socialist nation is something very different. So can you give me an I love questions. Can you give me an example of a socialist society that does better than a free market society? Mm -hmm. And you just like watch them go blank. And you're like, well, like, have you read history books about Stalin or Marx or Mao? Like, it's always painted as this beautiful utopia. And I know we're getting into like communism and, and other things in there as well, but it's all kind of from the same thread. Um, it's always promised to be this beautiful utopia and it always results in mass starvation and death. Yep. Always. People don't flee free market countries to go to socialist ones. No, never. No. It's never, not once. No one leaves the U.S. to go to Cuba. No, it's always <laughs> the other way around, right? And look at all right now, at like August third, twenty twenty-two. All the socialist nations are crumpling right now, mm-hmm. and I, I can't say for certain that they're all socialist, but. Um, yeah, there are so many countries that are going down. We have democratic countries going down right now too, but. Um, well, and it's interesting because just that real life evidence, like you had talked about, like just look at migration patterns or where, you know, where immigrants flee to and where they're fleeing from, like that alone, it just speaks volumes. But that again, you're talking about hard world facts and realistic data and not some utopian like fantasy that's written down in some book. And that's, I've had the exact same experience in talking to people, right? And it's, I don't know, that idea seems to go right, right over their head. And it's like, nope, nope, this book told me this. And my professor told me this. So it must be true. This is what we need to search for. And um, it's, it's frustrating to deal with. I'm not going to lie. The the truth is they need each other. So a simplistic way to look at progressivism is they're always progressing towards an ideal and they always have to move forward 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 but they never actually stop to arrive and that's where we start getting into some very weird places like we're getting to now like 62 genders and and arguing about thing like we're arguing about language to a point that we we just don't need to be doing cuz we actually are in like a food crisis you know we have real life problems right now i'm sorry we can't be spending our energy on this so progressives need conservatives not only to like reality check them on their ideology but to financially check them about their spending otherwise they get out of control conservatives on the other hand they're traditional they get really stuck in the mud without progressives being like hey that's a little outdated like let's keep moving like they they actually need each other and then anytime that there's honestly a majority where it's not it's not good you don't want to be you hear so much about the far right, right? Like being far right is not good, mm-hmm. but it's funny that you keep hearing about that because it's actually a non-issue because we're so far left, dangerously left, socialist left, communist left. It is getting ugly. It is getting ugly. And it's funny because, yeah, that even what would be classified as far right four years ago, 
uh, isn't the same as today because that center line has been dragged so far to the left that now, you know, if you were just a, um, I don't know, a fiscally conservative person four years ago, now you're far right because, you know, that, that center line has been dragged so far to the left and it's, it's crazy. I mean, and yeah, we can, we can continue on. I, th- this is all part of the same thread, but when or two topics that we wanted to talk about today were kind of the farmers protests going on in the Netherlands, um, which is related to what's happening in Sri Lanka and the absolute, you know, tear down of that country. And then I also wanted to get into, you know, this is kind of me being in oil field, but the, uh, the idea of ethical energy and more than that, just like the life preser- preserving qualities of energy and, you know, where some of these green policies seem to be leading and whether or not, you know, people are actually blind to the side effects and the causes of what will happen if we just, you know, eliminate natural gas, we eliminate oil and we eliminate nitrogen and, you know, in the farming and agricultural industry, because this is now coming to Canada, right? Like, and I know that the premiers of Saskatchewan, Alberta, and I think it was Manitoba, maybe just recently spoke out against this, um, because this is being implemented in Canada by 2030, as well as cutting the nitrogen emissions into our agricultural sector. So it's, uh, it is hitting close to home, and it's, it's coming right down the pipe. So it makes a lot of sense to talk about in relation to Canada, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a good jumping off point. Like, it's funny that we started with politics, too, because um, we all need to put our emotions aside, our tribes aside, and just look at the facts and the data. Mm -hmm. And we're not doing that. So this thing with the farming, for example, the story that's being told is climate change is such an extreme issue that we're going to put all other problems aside. This is like lockdowns all over again, right? Uh, locking everyone down is the only thing that matters. And we're not going to worry about um, mental health or addictions or poverty or anything else. Mm -hmm. Only one thing. And we're kind of repeating that error. So I'm not a climate change denier. We are absolutely not living in a way that's sustainable. However, the solutions that they're putting out, A, like if you talk to climate change scientists, and I have a friend that's like in this realm, they don't actually, they don't have a plan. This is not a plan. The things that they're doing are stupid. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to work. There's no replacement energy sources. They're just trying to, you know, eliminate source Canadian oil. The the thing with the farmers, hearing about the farmer thing, and I have a couple of friends that are vegan that are immediately like this kind of farming is not sustainable it's not sustainable and i tried to sit with that question like maybe you're right like yeah we're treating animals badly i do eat meat but um the factory farming is horrible maybe this stuff did need to change but we also have to think about what this particular policy does we're in the middle of a food shortage if you don't think there's a food shortage you're wearing blinders because it's right in front of your face Mm -hmm. and we're Mm -hmm. eating last year's food right now people have no idea what this is going to look like we're eating last year's food so this is real uh we have this war with ukraine um it's gonna get really bad and it's gonna get bad soon yeah which is a a breadbasket nation of europe that's right yeah. And then the Netherlands, too, is like one of the number one exporters of 
uh, of of grain they were saying not of grain but they're saying that they they contribute massively to the to food supply in the world which is so funny for this tiny little country so this tiny little country produces food exceptionally well which everyone in their right mind should be looking at that and saying how do we do what they're doing how do they produce so much food in such little space but instead that's the first country that we attack so with those sanctions it's 30 percent of farmers are just going to go out of business like and they're all saying like these are very educated european farmers they're they all know what this is they all know it's the wef they all know this is a land grab and i know you're a history buff you've read lots of books i've recently been reading ones about stalin and the collectivization of farms mm-hmm. this is what they did they took back the land like there's so you know i sat with the vegan question but then i'm looking at all this stuff that's very real with the wef and food shortages and there's i can't not see this as sinister it well, looks yeah. bad. Yeah. And one thing that you said that I think is is really important to play, because I'm the same way, like I'm I'm not a climate change denier, um, but like we have to realize that all of this is it's sort of a game of probabilities, right? Like nobody is certified on the science. Like if we went by Al Gore, we would you know, we would have lost the coastal cities already. They'd be underwater. Right. So this is a game of probabilities. And, you know, at, in the short term right now, I mean, what is more probable, you know, by going through with all these uh, nitrogen cuts, with all these oil and gas, the energy cuts, uh, the food shortages, like what's more probable that we're going to starve a billion people to death or, you know, a couple hundred million, whatever you want to say, or we're going to have this globe ending crisis down the line at who knows exactly when, who knows what it's going to look like. But like people should realize that this is a game of probabilities. Nothing, nothing here is certain. But the probability of these food crises really hitting and uh, starving people to death, I would say is significantly higher than what could happen with climate change down the road and who will be affected by it. I really want to think that it's incompetence. I mm-hmm. really, really want to think it's incompetent. So, you know, even the idea of like, okay, we're going to cut Canadian oil and gas, which is ethically sourced, super clean but we're going to buy dirty oil from other countries that make way more of a mess or we're going to buy things from china that uses coal and slave labor like this is not about greater good and then we're going to slash our oil and gas oh and um yeah by the way just don't be poor buy a forty thousand dollar electric car which by the way our electric grid could never support all of you being on electric like cars not even 50 percent, nowhere near Mm -hmm. like I'm in Ontario, the amount of times that our power has shut off this summer alone because people are running air conditioners, it's it's wild. So the, there is no plan, there's no plan. And what they're doing to the farmers now will only hurt, it's only gonna hurt poor people. And you have everyone, and I, and I hate to say everyone, I'm making a very clear generalization, people that really buy into leftist ideology who are usually like in the educational sector, they have high paying jobs, they wear suit and ties, they're not truckers, they're not farmers, they're not on the ground. They're the party that says that they care about 
people so much. That's why they want socialism. We're all going to take care of each other. But it's actually the right right now that is standing up for the common man, the working class man, mm -hmm. because these policies are only going to energy and food deny our poorest people in the world. Like they already can't afford gas. They already can't afford groceries. I just read today that food banks um, are overwhelmed right now with three times the amount of people that usually uh, access these services. Like I can't help but see this as absolutely sinister. They are not for the people. They are about, I think they're about to intentionally starve the people. Well, and it's, it's crazy too, because like I, you know, obviously most of the people that I talk to are Canadians and it's, it's amazing how maybe intentionally, or maybe it's by accident, but how ignorant a lot of people seem to be that we are one of the richest nations on the planet and how, like how good, how lucky we have it, that we, that we actually are an energy exporter. Like the fact that we have this growing in our, or pulling out of the ground in our backyard, because I mean, you look in Europe and you're looking at like $8 a gallon, $9 a gallon, like of, of fuel. Can you imagine if you, we were dealing with those prices here right now on top of the increases in, in food and everything else? Like it's so easy for us to kind of look around and say, Oh, well, you know, you guys can handle a little bit less. Like we can, we can do, do with less energy. We can do with less, whatever, when, you know, we aren't feeling the effects of this anywhere near the poorer countries on the planet are, or the countries who, who aren't energy exporters or who don't have agriculture in, in their backyard. Like Canada, Canada has so much, right. And we are like, yeah, we're experiencing all the effects of inflation and this global, you know, the lockdown on, um, on like industry, on shipments, on everything, but, but we aren't experiencing it to nearly the same effect of the rest of the world. And I think we should realize like, like what a lot of these policies, if they get put in place, how they'll affect the other countries on the planet and ultimately the poorest countries in the planet. And what gives us the right to, you know, tell them that, oh, you can't, you can't heat your family or your, uh, your house tonight. You can't keep your family warmer. You can't put food on the table because quite frankly, it's bad for the planet and might, it might one day affect us. So in the meantime, you're going to have to go without, yeah, some of you may die, but it's a risk we're willing to take, you know, uh, quoting Lord Farquaad from Shrek. But the elites will still fly around in their private jets and they'll still be eating bugs. Um, it's so funny, like people think socialism is is about making everything equal and it makes things way more unequal. All you did is get rid of the middle class. You made the poor poorer and the rich richer. There's just no middle anymore. And these policies, these radical ideologies, everything that we're seeing, the social justice movements, not like there are very good people in the movements, but I'm talking about the radical ones. The things that we're seeing in these government policies, they have the aim of destroying. It's dismantling. It's destroying. So what the young people have been yelling, I'm, it's funny, I'm only 38, but I keep saying young people. I mean, like college people, they're like, screw the system, dismantle the system. And they have no idea what they're dismantling. Because the truth is, there are a lot of things that we can do to make ourselves better. Okay, we need cleaner energy, fine. You wanna get rid of oil and gas, fine. Put in nuclear. I interviewed yeah. Malin, 
Alan Baker from the UK Green Party on my show, and he talks about climate change alarmism versus climate change realism and nuclear actually is a solution. But those that want things dismantled, the worst thing that could possibly happen is you actually find a cure for climate change and there is no revolution. Mm -hmm. They want mm -hmm. the revolution, they want things destroyed and that's what people don't understand. Because if they actually wanted a solution, it would be things like nuclear, we would be farming the same way that like people in the Netherlands do, we would be utilizing small sections of land to do better. But instead, we're going to starve the people I'm in these threads where I've been talking to farmers in both the Canada, both Canada and the United States, and farmers are telling me that people are offering to buy their land or they bought their neighbor's land mm -hmm. and they burn it, they destroy it. They're destroying the land that we need to grow food. That is happening everywhere. And then let's stack on top uh, um, all the food plants that are burning down. Do you know the, the tally right now? I keep seeing um, headlines about it. I don't know what the tally is, but I do keep seeing headlines in different food processing plants or or different you know farms or whatever the case may be that are all burning down kind of ironically at the same time. Over 25, just the food processing plants, not even the farmer's fields, just spontaneously went up in flames. Mm -hmm. This like the last year, that's suspicious. Yep, absolutely, uh, absolutely. But I mean, I don't know, it's kind of, it's funny, you, you said a lot there and there were a couple things that I, I wanted <laughs> to, <laughs> no, 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 I love it. I, that's why if you see me looking off screens, because I'm writing things down as you're going, so I don't miss them. Um, but yeah, one of the things that you'd mentioned was, you know, going from, or going to a collectivist society from, you know, one where, you know, individual rights and you, you do have your own, your own rights and your own autonomy. It's, it's crazy because I don't think people understand. And what you were talking about, about basically dragging everybody's standard of living down and, you know, it's, it's trading the way that we have it right now. And I don't think, I mean, we both know that nothing in, is hundred percent fair in life. You know, some people are gifted with different, different talents and, you know, you're able to, you're able to earn more, you have more marketable skills, right? But what this would be doing, if we did go to an idea of collectivism or socialism, whatever, you're trading in that ability to work and earn for yourself. You're trading in meritocracy for just, for just a system where as long as you obey, you'll move up. But if not, you'll move even further down. So do you want to have that ability to actually, you know, work for yourself to do something you're interested in, and to push yourself up the ladder of, of your own like two hands? Or do you want it to be hinged on as long as you obey every order, you do what you're told, then you'll be able to, you know, get a few more scraps at the table, right. But to me, I don't think that people understand what you'd be trading in and how you would actually ever get a chance to move up at all. And again, like you said, like it, it just separates it into, you know, between what now we would call the rich and the poor to the ruling and the ruled, like that's all it'll switch it into. You'll still have these, these different economic classes, but um, also what yeah. you had said, when you're talking about that whole deconstructionist tear the system down and everything, I don't know if you got into stranger things at all, but I, I have to say there's a speech at the end of, this late, latest season, season four, it's like the bad guy Vecna. He goes on this speech that absolutely like point by point by point, it's like a four minute speech, but it nails absolutely every little aspect of this whole deconstructionist, the progressive kind of 
forceful agenda to the, on the left. And it's, it's incredible. Like all you can, you could just watch that just for that four minute speech. And you'll be like, holy shit. Like this show has totally encapsulated what this obsessive left deconstruction of movement is in this one bad guy. And it's incredible. Well, I mean, that's all part of like the great awakening too, right? It starts mm -hmm. off with just like science. It goes to politics that it goes into things like Hollywood, how we're being prepped and primed to believe certain things as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just a bunch of left-leaning folks that end up in media. It could just be that, but I don't know. The messed up things that are going on with like Disney, like there, we, we get messages through the TV. We're all being dumbed down by mm -hmm. our devices. I was just listening to a very creepy speech by Yuval Noah Harare, who's Klaus Schwab's like number one man, his spiritual advisor. And is that the guy who wrote Sapiens? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've heard some of that stuff before too. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. He's awful. And I don't know how people like this man. Like, have you were you listening to what he said? Have you read his books? I know. Like I know. he doesn't, he's evil. He is evil. But he was talking about what do you there's so many useless people there are use useless worthless people what do you do with worthless people my best guess is a combination of video games and drugs like we're at the point now i i had a lot of compassion for people in the beginning i get that they don't see things like i i didn't see things right away at this point i'm like they're not even hiding anything anymore they're telling you and when i say they i'm talking about like elite people globalists the wef they are telling you what they think about you what they're going to do to you they're telling people we're going to microchip you. They're telling like it sounds so crazy. And this is why people don't believe it. This is what allows them actually just to say it because it's actually that crazy that people don't even believe it when they hear it and see it with their own eyes. I know at this point it's it's stranger than fiction. It's funny because right now uh, while I'm at work, I usually have an audio book on as well, but I'm I'm re-listening to Brave New World by Aldous Huxley and like it, it's the exact same thing and it's just it's funny because you know you can a lot of the stuff and it's crazy that that book was written in i think the 30s or the 40s but just how how close some people have gotten things like looking forward and kind of seeing where the social trends are going it, it's amazing to me because again he talks about you know their their drug it's almost like a a dumbed down heroin but is soma and it's just keeping people docile and distracted and you know in their position in the caste system right and it's the exact same thing it's just it's wild to me when you start hearing things again yeah it's just it's stranger than fiction like you can read these fictional novels from 80 years ago and now we look at real life and it's like this is weirder than this book was and you know this was it's almost mm -hmm. prophetic at this point you know what? It's no surprise that a lot of the people that I'm meeting that are awake to all of this are people that are yogis, health coaches, intuitives. And it's not just because they're like crunchy granola people that like never get vaccinated or any of that kind of stuff. Like it's because they are very conscious. They are super clear. They're really, really good at trusting their gut, listening to their intuition paying attention where unfortunately most of the world is dumbed down 
-hmm. are dumbed down. So they might be book smart, but they are not in tune with their feelings. They don't have an imagination and they like most human beings spend all their time on a device doing useless things, looking at TikTok, having meaningless conversations. You know, it's all fun, but none of it's real. Like there are very few people that are really, really in the present moment. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And yeah, I mean, like you said, like that, that comes right back to what they were saying, you know, drugs and video games or drugs and entertainment or or whatever it is to just keep you kind of plugged in and and uh I don't know, not paying attention to the world around you. And it's funny that you had said that too, about, you know, the circle that you're surrounded with the yogis and the people who are in touch spiritually with themselves. Cause I've also found that there's a huge portion of just like blue collar workers, people who are very, um, they're realists, you know, they're very pragmatic. They kind of just, they see the world as it is their boots on the ground. Like, and I've noticed a lot of them or us, I should say, cause I'm definitely in that group. Um, kind of have the same feeling. Like, it's just, you look around and you're, you're in touch with what's really going on. What, what the ground level feelings are like, what the conversations are like. And they're like this, you know, stuff's not making sense or they're, I don't know. They, they just seem to be in touch with reality. Simple, logical, practical, not wasting any time on the internet, TikTok, any, like that's my husband. He's not a yogi. He's not spiritual. He doesn't pray. He doesn't do any of those things. He is very smart and he doesn't waste time and he doesn't get sucked into silliness of the world yeah, yeah. so that makes that makes total sense that the blue collar folks are like uh uh-uh. uh also all the blue collar folks actually know how the world works they don't sit in glass castles making policy decisions they actually know what it costs to transport food in a truck mm-hmm. they actually know what it takes to make food grow like the people in Ottawa making decisions don't know a freaking thing. No, I agree. I mean, yeah, even, and in, in my case, like we're very aware of the work that goes in the wages that, you know, you can command working in the oil and gas, the living that it allows you to provide for your family. Like we're, we're aware of all these different safeties on everything and how, how clean and efficient we've tried to make our energy industry. So that's why, why one thing that I, I love talking about is oil and gas, because you know, Canada gets painted as this dirty, disgusting. Um, uh, what was it called? Actually, I'm a big F1 fan. And so recently there was the uh, the Montreal GP. And one of the racers who I actually I really like as a racer, but Sebastian Vettel came out and he had this, you know, he's sponsored by Aramco, which is I think it's the biggest oil producer in Saudi Arabia in the world. Right. So that's one of the lead sponsors for his F1 team. And he came out with a helmet that said, stop, stop Canada's energy um catastrophe or energy it it was something something about and it had like a big dirty pipeline on the back of his helmet and it was attacking attacking the alberta tar sands right while he's sponsored (laughs) by a saudi oil producer right like the biggest in the world and he drives a car and he drives i know a formula one yeah he's not helping anybody with that job it's he drives around in a circle burning fuel the hypocrisy i saw that i was like does that guy not have any PR people? Because someone needs to tell him he looks really stupid right now. 
<laughs> it was insane. Like I saw all of the Canadian uh, oil and gas, like the, you know, the, the pages and everything was just lighting them up, like pointing out like Aramco is written across your chest. Like they are the biggest oil producer in the, in the world or one of them out of Saudi Arabia. And you're going to attack Canadian oil and gas. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. Although I must say, um, I'll give him one thing. He is retiring mm-hmm. at the end of this year, citing his concern for climate change. So at okay. least at least he's backing it up. And for that, for that aspect, I'm like, okay, like fair, fair. enough. But you should uh, you shouldn't have been preaching about it when you've got a Saudi company on your chest. But everyone else in the world, like not everyone else, lots of people are exactly like him. They're yeah. like, yeah, take down Canadian oil and gas. And I'm here in the corner, like, oh, um, yeah, you live in one of the coldest countries in the world. Um, yeah, how are you going to heat your house? Let's not even worry about the car thing. How are you going to heat your house? Did you think about that? Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm sure they'll figure it out. No, no. What's their plan? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There, no, isn't they, one. <laughs> they have, there is no plan. There is no plan. You're screwed. Yeah. No, and it's, it's crazy. And no shame on people. I know I sound super mean. People are busy. I get, I have two businesses. I'm a mom. We like live in a rural property. There's so much to do. Like most people get their like 10 minute news fix. The news tells them this is what's good and this is what's bad. And they're like, all right, I check the news. I get it. Like there's only like a few of us that are willing to like go the extra mile to actually like look into this deeply and see that there's a problem. And then we've gone really deep (laughs) down all these holes too. And it's really scary and then here's the other thing that people people can't handle the fact that this is scary Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. even the people that are awake to what's going on a lot of those people too are like i can't hear it it's making me upset i can't hear it and there are moments where we need to check out for self-preservation is extremely important you know i i coach people through anxiety and depression i get that there are times when like, if you are not grounded, you need to remove yourself and do whatever you need to, to be whole again. But unfortunately, it's a Western privilege to think that you don't have to pay attention eventually. There, mm-hmm. This food thing is real and it's gonna affect us all. And people's emotions around this are outrageous because most people for most people just like the fact that there was a pandemic was scary enough for them they could barely handle that there's still people wearing masks outside all by themselves they're freaking terrified the thought that there might be something worse than a pandemic is way too much for people like we're talking about people being really surface before, you know, most people aren't even able to admit that they're physically ill. They're not even aware at that base body level. Mm-hmm. And then the next level is your mind, right? There's so few people that are willing to work on their thinking, to be a better person, to get back to the community, to work on their traumas, very few. And now we have this whole other level that's like a spiritual battle. Most people can't handle that. And this Western privilege is people not thinking that they have to worry about food, water, energy, shelter, safety. Mm -hmm. Because it's never happened because we've lived extremely soft lives. And this is honestly a privilege that I don't think we can take for granted. This stuff is coming down the line. It is happening. 
the latest podcast from Jordan Peterson is terrifying. Like the, the estimates of how many people are going to starve are terrifying. And of course, no one knows, no one knows for sure, but it's, it's not looking good. No, can't and again, check out. no. And, and again, it's about probabilities, right? The probability of that happening as opposed to whatever might happen down the line to, you know, and we're again, in all of these climate things, like we're, we're focusing on what will happen to us in the West, right? And completely ignoring the short-term consequences of cutting off energy or cutting off food to, you know, the, the poorer countries in the world. And, you know, if a few million of them die, like it seems to be the, the overall like feeling seems to be, oh, well, it's a sacrifice we're willing to make, right? Like the, uh, uh, what is it? The, the one saying that I've really started to dig into and I keep meaning to do an episode on it, but I just, Okay. I'm busy too. Right. But it's uh, that idea that the ends justify the means. And I don't think there's anything like more sinister than that, because it means that you're willing to throw morality out the window because no matter yeah. what happens, no matter what the, uh, what the means are that you have to do to, to get to this end goal being, you know, a clean climate or whatever, the ends justify the means. So no matter what you have to do, no matter how many people have to kill, as long as we get a clean climate, it's worth it. And that's just a disgusting thought yeah. process. You know, the the first thing that you might hear in this like waking up journey is depopulation. And when you first hear it, you're like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to believe that. I didn't want to think about it. I'm like, that's batshit crazy. No one's that evil. But then the more you spend in this world and like once your eyes are open, they can never be closed. And the more crazy shit that keeps happening and we're witnessing it in our own we're witnessing it in real time. All roads lead back there. They really do. And I really don't want to think that's what it is. But honestly, what is the world's biggest problem? It's too many people. That is the world's biggest problem. And again, maybe this isn't malfeasance. Maybe it's incompetence. And I, I don't know which one's scarier, to be honest. But I don't know. There's a lot of things that they're doing right now that don't make sense. Like make it make sense that when we're in an energy crisis, we're making it impossible for people to get energy. When we're in a food crisis, we're going to make it and we're going to burn down farmer fields and sell land to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Like make make that make sense and make me feel comfortable that you guys aren't just trying to kill everybody. Yeah. And not to mention like the lengths that people will go to when they are cut off from, well, you're mentioning it, right? Like the lengths that people will go to when it comes to losing food or, uh, you know, you're out of energy. Like, I mean, even, you know, China, for example, or even Germany are now firing up coal plants because, you know, they, they abolish natural gas and they, they wanted to get rid of oil. Well, now they're going back to coal because their natural gas has been cut off by, by Russia. Like to me, so what are we doing here? Because coal is significantly dirtier than natural gas or oil. And, um, but we're going back to it because, and I mean, <laughs> that's part of the thing that drives me crazy about all this is that you can have all of these utopian theories and everything until reality kind of smacks you in the face. Like, I mean, it's like that Mike Tyson quote, right? Like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face and countries, people are getting punched in the face right now. Like it's like, oh, reality's hitting me. Like all of a sudden we're heading into winter. We're having to shut down factories because we don't have the energy. So people are like, I mean, there was even, there was even some statement put out. It was in, I think it was in Germany actually, where they were saying that 
you have to set your home, you know, they were in the middle of like whatever their summer heat wave. And it's like, you can't set your thermostats below a certain temperature because we have to conserve energy. So you can't be running ACs all the time. You have to have it run at like 31 degrees, like just keep it there and be happy at that temperature. Like we don't have the energy to supply anymore. And like, you think that this is going to get better when it starts getting cold out and it's freezing like this, it is insane to me. And this stuff is happening now. Like this is again in the summer, as soon as we start getting into the winter. And like you had said about Canada too, sorry, I meant to loop back to this, but I believe that we account for something like 1.6% of global CO2 emissions. I think it was, which is nothing. It's a fraction, Mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and I mean, even if we did cut that down, by a hundred percent, we still aren't doing jack shit for the world values, right? Nothing. And like, then people will argue, well, but per person, you know, our emissions are higher. And then it's just like you had said, like you, you also don't seem to realize that we live in one of the coldest places on earth. So we're going to have a higher output per person because that's what life needs to sustain itself. So do you want people to die and we'll drop our emissions down? Or do you want people to live and we'll do it as cleanly as possible. But it, there's, again, it's, it's the ends justify the means. No cost is too great as long as we achieve global harmony and we're, we're at one with planet Earth. Like it's, it is insane to me the lengths that people are willing to sweep under the rug in search for this insane goal. Yeah. I mean, it was the same with lockdowns and and all the other extreme measures that they pulled. They're like, oh, well, we saved one out of a million people. And like, okay, well, you caused 50 extra deaths for all the other, for the side effects of all the other things that you cause with poverty and addiction and mental health. Um, Yeah, it's this one track mind. They're only looking at one thing. Yeah, it's it's wild too. So I'm I'm doing some things to help people right now. Um, I'm I'm helping people learn about gardening. I'm helping them connect to local farmers. I'm helping them learn about foraging and herbalism and like all these things. Like, what if you can't get to food yourself? And the attacks that I've been getting from people on the left, I hate I hate the battle. There is no battle. Again, I'm talking about extremists, not like you nice liberals out there. The messages that I'm getting of hate people saying like, oh, well, you're just an elitist to think that people can go and start a homestead. I'm like, who said we're starting a homestead? I'm teaching people a garden and like, Mm -hmm. okay, how about do nothing? Do you like that? Like, how about we do nothing? Yeah. And that's what drives me absolutely up the wall too, is this idea that like, because I'll talk about it in the, in the sense of just even trying to build something for yourself, like, you know, not being reliant on other people economically, like in, in really, you know, putting hundred percent or 150% effort into one thing and just going after it. Like, and I, I relate it to work a lot of the time because it's just what I deal with all the time. Um, but, but then people are like, oh, well, you know, why would, why should I work that much? Why should I do this? It's like, well, do you have any goals, any desires? Do you want to be self-sufficient? Like, I don't understand why preaching doing something for yourself is somehow a negative thing. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't yeah. understand that. Or if someone can't do it all the way, if they're not going to leave the city and move and buy a farm and start a homestead, well, I might as well not do anything for myself. Like this all or nothing thinking it's weak, it's ridiculous. And it's so you kind of you hit it before too. this pursuit of equality, too. It's it's not it's not true that people are equal. They're Mm. not. And it's not a race thing. It's a talent thing. It's an effort thing. And I think we absolutely should have a ton of programs that help elevate people that 
start off in poor circumstance. We absolutely should have that. But it's also just not true that we're equal because there are there are people that are so much smarter than I am and people that work so much harder and are way more talented. And that's just it. Mm-hmm. And in the past, if you've read any history book whatsoever in the pursuit of equality, people always died. Mm-hmm. They always they died under Stalin, under Mao. It does. It's not a thing. It doesn't work. You just have people secretly agreeing with things that they don't agree with, but it's not a thing. We're not all equal. So here's what I'm worried about. Like with the climate change thing is there are some very good scientists that have put out reports and, and people in socioeconomics that have said, when you elevate the poor people, when you help people in poor countries do better for themselves you get them more educated you help them make more money climate change is better because people actually start caring more about things like that as well they're not they're not as likely to burn coal for fuel and they'll do other things but instead i think we're trying to take the west and knock them down we're trying to knock them down again in this pursuit of equality we're trying to knock everything down Where's the proof? Look around. Look, every single job sector in all of Canada is begging for workers. No one is working. Healthcare is crumpling. The economy is terrible. Like inflation's never been this high. Poverty, like you're watching it in real time. They're knocking the West down to be a third world nation. And I don't think that's the solution. Yeah. And, and what you had touched on there, there were a couple of things. So like you had said, in elevating the wealth status of poorer countries so that they actually do pay attention to surroundings, like to the surroundings around them. And again, this isn't like, it's, it sounds kind of like elitist to even be talking about this, but, but it makes sense. Like if you're no longer focused solely on survival, the here and now, and you're able to actually look forward, like, you know, you can look at your kids and be like, Oh, I've got enough food in the fridge for them for the next five days. I'm not purely focused on survival day to day, hour to hour, I can actually now start looking out. And that comes with, you know, again, like you said, like raising the wealth, Mm -hmm. raising the standard of living to the point where you're not worried about just not starving to death or not freezing to death. Like, like, for example, with, with you or I, let's say that we, we are in the middle of an absolute crisis. There's no energy, there's no electricity to houses. Right. And what are you going to burn to keep your kids warm? You're going to burn garbage. You're going to burn anything. You're going to burn anything. You don't care what's, what's involved in it, what kind of smoke yeah. is thrown up. You're going to burn anything you have to keep them warm. Mm-hmm. And again, like, like you had talked about earlier, I mean, we're pretty privileged in the West. We're a, a rich nation. We're an energy exporter, an agricultural exporter. We have all of this natural resources right here at our, at our doorstep. Um, and we've never had to go through anything like that. But if you can put yourself in those shoes and then imagine what it's like to be that destitute and just focusing on survival, you don't give a shit what's happening to the world around mm-hmm. you, because that doesn't matter. All you're trying to do is keep your kids fed, your kids warm, yourself warm, your, yourself fed, and everything else is out the window. Who cares about that? It doesn't affect me. Like I just have to live another day. And so I don't think again, that a lot of people put themselves in those shoes, because if we're going to shut down, you know, diesel fuel generators that are maybe supplying some town electricity, yeah. they're going to start burning everything around them to get that same level of warmth again. And it's less dense energy, it's dirtier energy. And I just, 
I don't know. I feel like I'm, oh, I'm obviously like, I'm talking to you, you make, you understand this, but it's like, when I'm talking to some other people, it's like talking off of a brick wall. It's like, nope, oil's bad. That's all that I heard out of that. Yeah. Well, and elevating the poor too. I wish I had that report in front of me because there, there actually are like um, steps. There are actually things to do. It's not like Paris Hilton, like don't be poor. No, um, right. There are actually like a lot, like bringing electricity, bringing the internet, like there's a, like people can increase their socioeconomic status, like quickly with access to the internet. Like the, there's a ton of action steps to help elevate people. Um, and it, it's funny that that could be seen as elitist because what I think is more elitist is what is being done to us now by the liberal government. Just buy an electric car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, and don't worry. We're just going to make sure that gas and food is unaffordable for mm. a billion mm. people. That's elitist that you're going to make the poor people starve to death and not be able to afford heat for their homes. That's the real elitism made by people that don't live in the real world. Again, live in glass castles. And like, uh, like what you're referencing, I think that's a lot of the work of Bjorn Lomberg um, as far as ranking what we could do, like mm. actual economic um, projects that we could take on that would, you know, be cost, they'd be beneficial. And, uh, but yeah, I think that's what you're referencing. And so anybody can look that up if they want to, but it, it's fascinating. And there are a lot of real world solutions that we could do to start elevating people, elevating countries to the point where, you know, their standard of living is significantly higher. Um, and then also what you were talking about too, it's funny because, you know, in Canada, we can realistically, even if it's not a realistic goal for the average Canadian to go buy out a 40, $50,000 EV, let alone again, the grid issues that you talked about. But when we're talking about poorer countries where you've got an entire family that drives around on a moped, you're not going to go <laughs> from a $800 moped to a $40,000 electric car. Like that's not the steps that take. You'll go from a moped to an old shitty Corolla or, or, uh, or Honda. Then you'll go up to a little pickup truck. Then you'll work your way up to there. But it's not like a leap that you just go from destitute to just electric vehicles anymore. And again, like it's this idea that yeah, everywhere is like well, how we have it. And they want to take away car ownership right now, which some people agree with. Like I, I live rurally. I take mm -hmm. a boat, a quad, a truck. We need big trucks for the work that we do out here. I can't have electric things. Sorry. I can't take the subway. I have no idea how that's going to work. That scares me. And how is that going to go down? Is it voluntary? Are they just coming and taking your things? And that's that's not an unrealistic fear because what I'm watching in the Netherlands right now is they just took land from farmers. If that doesn't bother anyone, I don't care what you think about climate change. Someone just came and shut down your farm and took it. Mm -hmm. They just took your mm -hmm. land. They just, you don't have a problem with that. You don't think that's, you think that that's okay? That someone could take your livelihood? Well, and that's, that's and again, dark. like, that's why to me, like, the the fundamental, one of the fundamental human rights is property rights, right? Like, it's the idea that you own yourself bodily autonomy, and then that extends further out, but that you have the right to own property, you have the right to lay claim on something that you've earned and you've worked for. Like, but again, I don't think that's, that's a mentality that's shared by people. Like, I don't think, I don't think that these radical leftists believe in your right to own anything or to even again, like when it came to mandates to to even own your body like they just don't believe in that that idea of of um property rights at all 
most people don't believe in hard work either. They no. would be totally happy for the government to get bigger and be taken care of and they can stay home and play video games and don't have to do a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's the sad truth that that's where a lot that's where a lot of people are. Like I'm a big believer in personal responsibility. I'm a believer in free market systems. And I see that in the proof with all the people trying to escape these countries to come to free market societies. Like the capitalism has been branded as this big evil thing and socialism is the cure. Socialism isn't the cure for anything, first of all. Is capitalism perfect? Absolutely not. But you're, you have the assumption too that money is evil. Money is neutral. Money is nothing. Money nothing. makes you more of what you already are. It makes evil people more evil. It makes good people even better. You know, that's when people create these foundations and like serve the community. And um, it's, we've been brainwashed to think that it's an evil thing. It's just an economic system. And socialism certainly isn't the cure. And again, if you think it is, show me one example in history, just one. Mm-hmm. The world's been around for a long, long time. Show me one where that has gone well. It yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I think, I think that we actually accidentally came full circle in this discussion because we came right back to the very opening discussion point. And I know that I can see it in the background oh, yeah. there. It's yeah. getting, it's getting dark for you. So I, I don't want to take up any more of your time tonight, <laughs> um, but I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I don't know if, if you do end up going back to your podcast, releasing more episodes, like I'd love to be on there. I, I love mm-hmm. talking to you and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's good. You bring all the details because I'm like all big picture and visionary sometime, but I forget like all of the details. And then you come with like the names and the details and the times that like I need. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. Again, that's why I really like talking to you. It's a, we just I don't know. It's a good dynamic. But um, and also uh, promote again your sovereign project, too. I know I've heard you talk about it quite a bit. Cool. Yeah. So I started uh, the sovereign. It's called the wellness membership to move us forward. I have geared this project specifically to people that are awake and aware of what's going on in the world and they're ready to do something about it and empower themselves. So um, we teach people how to take care of their mental health. We teach people how to take care of their physical health. And then we bring in all kinds of experts to talk about everything from uh, building businesses and increasing your revenue to Bitcoin, saving the money that you have, homesteading, food preserving, um, foraging, herbalism, literally anything that you need to empower yourself, to deal with this wild world. And uh, it's an online community. Um, we host these things live. But honestly, I think like the best part about all these skills that we're teaching you need them no matter what. So if things go sideways in the fall and winter, great. If things are fine, good. You just learn how to like make more money and be responsible for your life. life. So um, yeah, they're like essential skills for life. So super excited, just launched. And there's some pretty rad people in there already. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear, but I'll talk to you more about this after actually, because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really interested in it. So, uh, well, thank you very much. Have a, have a great evening and, uh, yeah, we'll have to talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. 
I really appreciate all the feedback you have given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support, and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.